this podcast, we discuss business approaches to reduce risk, improve regulatory compliance, and accelerate public safety. So this is a pretty broad subject, and each episode will focus on specific challenges, technologies, and roles that are relevant as we seek to protect our assets, our organizations, employees, and generally to keep the bad guys away. My name is Earl Stevens, and I'm the Director of Threat and Fraud here at Alpine Consulting. I'm joined by Stan Duda, who is Alpine's founder and CEO. So in this episode, we're going to talk a bit more about the Zero Eyes Weapons Detection System. Uh, We interviewed the guys from Zero Eyes a couple months ago and learned a bit more about their background and technology. And we've spent the past few months evangelizing Zero Eyes to school administrators and school safety uh, executives. And uh, we've learned some pretty interesting things about security cameras, why they were purchased, the challenges faced, and the impact that those cameras have had on school safety. And a lot of what we learned was pretty surprising. We thought we'd cover some of these findings on this episode of the podcast. So Stan, why don't you dig into the first interesting thing that we learned about cameras? So cameras, you know, have been an effective tool typically against property crimes, People are, are less likely to steal and vandalize if they know that they're going to be watched. Any any thoughts around that, Earl, from your perspective? Yeah, I guess if I was a, a kid out there wanting to break windows or, or spray paint some walls or whatever I'm doing, I'm probably going to be um, a little less hesitant about uh, doing that if I know that there's cameras being aimed at us. And that that's some of the input that we've got from school administrators is that, you know, just having a camera on site cuts down on some of that abuse. There was a, an instance here in Utah recently, you may, may have seen on the national news where a young woman visited a park late at night and was abducted, eventually lost her life. There were cameras on site there, but a lot of those were dummy cameras. So the police couldn't go back you know, monitor that footage. And those cameras were there mainly to stop property crime, you know, kids kicking over the drinking fountains. Um, So in this case, those dummy cameras up there, I don't know if the person knew that they were dummy cameras or what, they were not effective in stopping crime at the park. We're also seeing that even if they do have cameras up, people are starting to realize that there's nobody sitting behind those cameras watching them. Those cameras certainly aren't going to jump off the wall and stop anybody from doing any sort of crime. You know, really, if you look at it, cameras are useful once a mess has been uh, made, going back and doing, you know, some of the forensics and finding out, you know, who did it and preventing it from happening in the future, you know, making the, uh, the criminals pay the piper, so to speak. Yeah, that, that, that's a good point. One, one of the things that you said specifically about, you know, jumping off the wall and, you know, stopping any of those crimes, it's typically, unfortunately, they're they're often not monitored to the degree in which you might think, you know, you've got, let's say in a school, you've got 200 cameras. Uh, how many people are actually watching those uh, and able to detect those kinds of incidents? It's typically once an incident's occurred or is in progress that uh, called upon and, and monitored. But at that point, it's really too late. So yeah, uh, the efforts and the value of, of that is negated, quite frankly, for, for what the general public is expecting and, and what the investment is. You bet. And, and the investment's a key point of it there. My wife's a teacher. Towards the end of this school year, they actually started rationing copy paper. And so my wife was being mindful. Um, she has a total of uh, 60 plus students that she teaches. 
across two classes. You know, when you're rationed to maybe 120 sheets of paper a week, you've got to get really creative about, you know, how you allocate your resources. And when you take that further, that's just paper. You know, when you, when you look at security, you know, paying someone to, to watch those cameras is expensive and it's a heck of a lot more expensive than, you know, a couple of sheets of paper there. And so schools just don't have the resources that uh, they can get the money through grants or whatever to buy the cameras. But geez, what are you going to do with them once you have them? And that's the real challenge is, is uh, getting the resources to make use of those cameras. You know, they've been, uh, cameras have been somewhat effective in efforts to, to stop physical bullying as well. Many of the cameras, unfortunately, don't record audio or have uh, audio features disabled so that it preserves privacy. You know, with a few exceptions, they haven't been useful in detecting verbal abuse and harassment, unfortunately. We, we did, uh, I guess, some informal research. You go on YouTube and do a search on bullying caught on camera. And there's there's a ton of videos out there on school buses that kids have taken that have posted to YouTube. So there's plenty of video evidence there. But again, like Stan was saying, not a lot of these school cameras especially are catching the audio. They're not getting the context of the bullying. So they're only catching the really egregious examples of some kid getting hit or assaulted in some way. And you're not seeing all of the little examples or the, the the events that lead up to the big event. And so schools have to spend a lot of time, you know, who did what and who said what. And it really doesn't cut down on the uh, uh, the bullying, except in the egregious cases that we discussed. Yeah, yeah. The, the surveillance has been useful in prosecution efforts, but it's only after the crime has been committed, typically. It really goes to highlight kind of some of the gaps and the mistakes made and the response to the crime or the emergency. And it's a valuable learning experience, essentially a self-incriminating liability to, to the school or uh, the public venue uh, and, and the lack of real planning and, and responsibility for, for helping to protect the, the innocent, unfortunately. Yeah, we, we saw a great example of this down in uh, Broward County in Florida uh, during the school shooting that occurred down there. I don't know what you want to call it. The news media calls this individual the Broward coward. It was the uh, sheriff's deputy that basically hung out outside the school doors while the shooting's going on. You know, this is all still in the courts. We don't really know um, what that individual was thinking at that time, but he was incriminated uh, for his lack of action. The Broward County Sheriff ultimately uh, resigned his position uh, because of this. You're recording all the mistakes that you make, too, and that opens your school up for liability or even your your law enforcement department. Anything that you do wrong is recorded for posterity, and, and that's a big risk that some of the administrators are expressing as well. It's funny. You know, it's a, it's a challenge because from an administration point of view, you you want to be mindful and you're listening to parents uh, and the general public and the concerns that they have. You think you're doing the right thing by putting all these cameras out there. But when it comes to cameras in schools, as an example, administrators got to walk a really fine line because they're trying to separate the safety and privacy issues. And both are important, but s- supporters on both sides are pretty vocal. It's almost like they're darn if they do and darn if they don't. You know, they spend a significant amount of time listening to concerns and crafting policies. They attempt to find kind of an acceptable middle ground, so to speak. But 
as one administrator told us specifically, you know, we think we think we got it right because frankly, neither side is happy. It's nobody wins in this case, unfortunately. You know, you don't want to you don't want to trample on people's privacy and and the rights of people, but at the same time, how do you how do you cover that fully and and still provide that level of safety? Yeah, um, so it's a challenge for sure. It is, and it it's one of those issues that there's really no middle ground. You've got people that that want their kids watched at all times, kind of an umbrella uh, of safety. You know, I want to be able to log in on my phone and see what my kid's doing at any time. You've also got privacy advocates that are saying, hey, you know, my kid needs a safe learning environment, and that means not being surveilled uh, at all times. You know, and, and both sides are pretty passionate. And one of the things that we heard from administrators, as Stan was saying, is that whenever we talk about increasing uh, the number of cameras in our schools or even putting them in in the first place, is you'll have both these sides engaged in a lively debate. Uh, a lot of policy has to be written uh, and, and it's not boilerplate policy. It's policy that that has to fit the school or the school district. And that takes a lot of time and, and resources. And administrators are spending a lot of time trying to figure out what that acceptable middle ground is. When it comes to some of the policies and procedures, of course, the, the chain of custody is, is a critical component to all of this. Whether or not you're, anytime you have the cameras, if you're recording it, if you're storing that that information for any period of time, you know, what's your, what's your retention time. And given that it's in, in a public uh, venue, what's to say somebody couldn't uh, requ- do a freedom of information request and request that now all of a sudden you're potentially exposing minors being recorded. And, and frankly, all that is protected and, and it's challenging, but at the same time, when an event occurs, you have to have that, that level of retention and recording and be able to analyze it both from a prosecution point of view, as well as from an educational point of view, so that you can hopefully avoid uh, these kinds of things in the future. It's difficult, but I think, uh, I think some of the stuff that we've seen that that tends to trend in the right direction, or at least it's believed to be conversating with a lot of uh, folks from law enforcement, as well as uh, school and other public officials. If, uh, if your retention is very minimal and, and you really ditch a lot of that, that recording, but retain the stuff when events uh, occur, both a little bit before and after the event, as part of that chain of custody, that, that's obviously the, the middle ground that most of the folks are leaning towards. So not keeping a lot of that data for, for long term. Yeah, and there, there's definitely got to be some thought um, put into that as well. You know, we know all the time, especially with the Me Too movement, that people are bringing up events that happened 10, 15, 20 years ago. And the statute of limitations on those types of things is is constantly changing. And so you may find a request for video that covered something that happened years ago. Um, and a lot of schools uh, that, that we've talked to haven't even thought that far ahead. They have policies set where you know, video is deleted after 24 hours or 48 hours. Again, they just don't have the resources to store a large amount of video footage. And so, you know, if a crime is reported even a week later, that video footage may be long gone and that may subject them to some risk, some litigation, things like that. So there's uh, some sticky issues there. Yeah. I mean, 
you bring up a really good point in terms of uh, the retention of the data and you know how especially video based data is uh, generates a, a tremendous amount of uh, size and, and storage you know camera systems are expensive when you factor in cameras and cabling and hardware and software and networking and storage and installation and training and maintenance and then add in hiring people to manage and monitor the camera system these costs add up they are not inexpensive by any means no, when we looked into the pricing of this, you know, at, a, at the smaller range, if you've got an elementary school, about 25 cameras um, and all the software and fixings that Stan just talked about, you know, we're looking at about $25,000 and then about half of that in maintenance fees every year just to keep that up and running. And that doesn't count the people that you're hiring to, uh, to manage those cameras. When you look at a bigger high school or even a, a college or university, you know, the costs are double, triple, quadruple um, for the upfront costs and the maintenance there. So these are not inexpensive. You know, people are putting a lot of thought into why they're they're implementing cameras. Once they get the camera systems in, the, the costs keep coming. They need people to, to run those. It just seems like there's some frustration at the administrative level. You know, we put all this money into cameras. What are they actually doing for us? They're expensive and in some ways they're polarizing to try and help you keep your walls clean and of graffiti and maybe catch a few bullies. It seems kind of, seems kind of crazy. Yeah. That was kind of my takeaway too with that, Stan, is that, boy, we, we, we invested a lot of money in these cameras and we're making a little den in bullying and property crime. And uh, there's just a lot of question marks and what else is this large investment doing for us? Right. Yeah. Yep. Five, six, seven figures on your surveillance system. So, you spent that money with the hope of essentially saving lives first and foremost, but you know, how are the cameras going to save lives? To your point earlier, they can't jump off the wall and stop an active shooter. So it's rough. And then, you know, the, the bigger problem is you've got the cameras in who's watching those camera feeds. Uh, there's a, a statistic out there that says that less than 1% of surveillance video is ever viewed by human eyes. That, I think that falls especially true in education there. You know, they're only going back and reviewing the footage when something bad has already happened. So let's figure out who did this. Let's get them off the street. Let's rectify the problem, whatever it is. Most schools don't have the budget to hire a dedicated security officer or a surveillance officer to monitor these feeds. You know, for example, if your school has 25 cameras, how many of those camera feeds are, feeds are being monitored at any given time? You know, is one person enough? Is two people enough? What What is uh, reasonable here in this case? Yeah, obviously surveillance is only valuable if the images that they capture can be delivered in a timely manner to people that are empowered to, to mitigate those threats and protect public at, at large. That, that's, that's really kind of the, the point of all this is how do we address a lot of these issues? You know, the monitoring 25 cameras, let's be serious, is relatively small number. Most uh, school districts will have anywhere from 700 to several thousand cameras. And a lot of those are tying back to uh, a central processing area uh, where they may have one, two, or three people monitoring. But even at several thousand, how, how can they keep up? And that's why we're excited about the technology that that's offered by Zero eyes. You know, when a firearm appears in your school and individuals are uh, responsible and trained to deal with this type of threat, can 
instantly receive those, you know, crucial intelligence uh, about who the individual is, where they're located, what direction they might be moving, you know, what type of weapon is it that that they may be carrying. It really affords, you know, the trained personnel to to act quickly. It's yeah, a chance yeah. where you know where where people have to take breaks, whether it's for lunch or restroom break or whatever. It monitors thousands of those cameras simultaneously and without any discrimination. It's, in fact, it doesn't so much care about the individual. It's really looking for the weapons themselves. Guns and guns only is really the point. Yeah, one uh, school district, larger school district that we recently talked to, they've got a centralized facility where all the, the camera feeds in the district are routed to the central place. And they've got a number of people that are uh, that are watching over those. And when you have a large school district, these three to half dozen people are really concentrated on, you know, active situations at the moment. Uh, it, it's really kind of backward looking. So they'll, they'll be listening to the uh, security dispatch system. There's going to be a report of a fight at a school. These individuals are going to immediately switch over to the, the feeds, the relevant feeds of these cameras and feed their own intelligence to officers that are arriving on scene. So the fight's probably already happened. The police are arriving to break it up and to, you know, drag the two kids off to the office or whatever. And what Zero Eyes does, especially in critical situations where, for example, a weapon is appearing on campus, those individuals at the centralized facility are receiving alerts as soon as that weapon is identified they'll get the chance to say, okay, yes, is this a real weapon or is this an ROTC practice rifle? If they determine that it's a real weapon, they can immediately start uh, that communication with law enforcement, get them the information they need to do to, to, to get in there and mitigate that threat. And so that's why we're excited. It's more of a proactive solution for you know the nightmare threat that we see out there in the school environment today. Yeah, it, it, we, we like to refer to it as the the early warning system. It's not like some of the other technology that exists in the marketplace. You know, things there, and there's a lot of very good, you know, uh, supportive technology that that you can culminate and bring together. I guess uh, like like shot detection, but let's be serious. Shot detection is after the fact. At, at that point, uh, hopefully hopefully at least it gets the, the first responders there in a hurry, but uh, it's typically done. You know, the shooting is all done. It's our, by the time the shot detection's picked it up, it's, it's a little too late. With the early warning system, so to speak, from Zero Eyes, it's a chance to, to get ahead of the potential uh, destruction that's, that's about to occur potentially. As I kind of think about what we've learned from school administration over the past couple months, that you know, it, it's evident that most people have thought about or have already implemented these camera systems. They put six or seven figures into these types of things. And I think there was maybe naively an expectation that safety would instantly increase, that it would cut down on some of these dangerous safety situations, whether it be guns, whether it be bullying, whether it be fighting. And I think they're struggling with the fact that you know, things are going on as they always have been. And we're a little bit smarter about when they occur and about who's doing these things. But there seems to be a sense of frustration that, you know, this isn't delivering the the benefits that I was I was promised. And I think right. this is a, a real uh, opportunity, technologies like Zero Eyes, to get in there and help their this large investment that they've made in cameras be more proactive 
and deliver the intelligence and, and get that return on the investment that I think they were originally seeking. I, I could think of specifically two school districts recently that I was speaking with uh, the head of security and, and the uh, administrator. They were in the midst of two very significant upgrades. So they've had cameras. I think they had uh, somewhere in the vicinity of 250 cameras in one and over 500 in another. So they were in there for about two and a half years or so. And now they're looking to literally rip and replace all of those cameras with more current technology, fancier cameras, as well as add a whole bunch more. So they were going to push the one that had 250 was going to push somewhere upwards of 750 cameras. And the other one was going to be over a thousand cameras from the 500. So almost double on, on that one. I kept pressing to say, you know, what what is it that you're planning to do? Because if you could actually do more with less, wouldn't wouldn't that be better? And then, of course, uh, having some proactive nature, you don't necessarily, there's a lot of overlap often when the camera manufacturers come in to, or dealers come in to sell more cameras, they're trying to maximize their sale, which means that they're trying to put cameras very, very short periods of distance in between them. Often, frankly, you don't need that level of coverage or at least that level of coverage monitored with a lot of focus. So you've put additional burden on personnel to monitor more cameras. You've added more infrastructure costs in the way of network, more infrastructure costs in the way of storage. You've bogged down your network uh, in terms of bandwidth and the utilization required for internet. And if it's all transfer, all that data is being transferred to one main site, now you've, you've really increased the need for the bandwidth. If you could reduce all that and still be effective, in fact, more effective by having constant surveillance or reducing the amount of personnel needed to monitor those or deploying them in a more constructive fashion, wouldn't that be better for for the general public, for the life and safety of the of the staff and the students overall? You know, and, and preventing firearms violence, again, that's the nightmare scenario um, when we think about schools. That was likely a big motivator in making the investment in um, access controls, in camera systems, you know, all of those uh, modern security features that we see in schools today. The thought of preventing firearms violence was in there. You know, again, a camera is not going to jump off the wall and, and prevent one of these things from happening. It's going to help you clean up the mess afterwards. And we think that there's opportunities to use these cameras in a more proactive fashion so that they can virtually jump off the wall and get that information to those who uh, can make decisions, to those who are trained to assess and uh, address the threats of firearm violence, get that information into their hands so that they can act quickly mitigate the threat, and really fulfill the vision that you had for some of these security features, including cameras in the first place. Yeah. We'd love a chance to talk with you further about preventing gun violence in schools. Uh, we want to help and are more than happy to share some of our, our experience and knowledge. Give us a call. Let us, uh, let us discuss the opportunity and how you can evaluate Zero-Eyes technology at no cost uh, on your campus. Uh, and offer some constructive guidance on 
um, what we've seen or, or even connect you with some of the other professionals that, that have worked in your space and have learned as well. Thanks, Dan. It's uh, been a pleasure to be with you this afternoon. And thanks to those of you listening. We really appreciate your time and support. And as Stan said, if you're concerned about the threat of weapons in your school or business and want to get more out of your investment in security cameras, the Zero Eye solution might be of interest to you. Uh, you can find more information about that on our website, alpineinc.com, or from Zero Eyes at zeroeyes.com. Thanks again and have a great day.